Isn't it awesome to be a part of God's work? Amen. And I do want to say with uh, Pastor Adam Alex, we're so glad that uh, not only are you part of the Baitmeyers family, but you're part of our family and so grateful that God's brought you into our family. Isn't it awesome to be able just to be a part of what God is doing in so many different ways? And I just want to just commend you, church family, in so many ways just for being open to the Lord. That's really what it's about, isn't it? Everybody's not going to do the same thing, but everybody's going to do something. God has something for all of us to make a difference in this world for Him. And so we're just so grateful. This is another example of how God is at work in a life-changing way, and we get to be a part of it. We'll turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 1. If you have a copy of God's Word, if not, we'll have the words up on the screen. Acts chapter 1, it's in the New Testament. So if you look at the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John... The very next book after that will be the book of Acts. I do want to say, as I get started, this is the first time I've spoken after um, uh, most of our church family is aware I have a voice issue that I have to get treated three or four times a year. And one of the side effects from the treatment I had this time is a little bit of a tickle in my throat. And so if I'm coughing, don't think I'm hacking up a lung or I'm, I've got the COVID or anything like that, all right? But uh, I, may, I may cough a little bit. It's just a little bit of a tickle. And but hopefully, um, maybe you can pray for me that that'll go away soon. But uh, with that behind us, let's get into God's Word. Amen? Amen. Acts chapter 1. We're going to look at that whole chapter together and just kind of focus in on some of the verses. The question I want to ask as we begin to study God's Word together this weekend is this. What does it look like when God Almighty is at work amongst a group of people? Would you think about that for a second? What would it look like if our Creator, the God of the universe, was working in a mighty way amongst a group of people? Some of you have thought of that before, haven't you? Some of you are praying for that. You're working towards that. Some of us have never thought of that. To be honest with you, you might say, Pastor Robbie, that's an interesting thought. That's an intriguing thought. But, but I've been so tied up with my career or with family matters or with finances or wh- whatever it might have been. To be honest with you, I've, I've kind of ignored God for years. And so that's kind of a, a little bit of a new thought. That's, that's fair enough. There are many of us in this room who are just beginning that faith journey. Amen? There are some of you that would say, no, I've been walking with God. I've been a part of church for many, many years. But I would have to say, if you were to really push me, have I ever really seen God work in a mighty way amongst a group of people? And many of us would say, I'm not sure that I could say that. But I believe if you've been a part of this church family for very long, we all sense that God is doing something. Amen? God is at work in our midst. God is changing people's lives. God is speaking to us. God is leading us. God is calling us to make an impact. And in some regards, He's already doing that. We've already, we've had two decades of seeing God do great things amongst us. But I think all of us who've been a part of this church family for a little while would say, we sense that He has a lot more for us to do together. Amen? So the question is, what does that look like? If God decided that He was going to do something special in the midst of a group of people. And by the way, can you imagine if you were able to say at the end of your life, 
that you were able to be a part of an effort like that? Wouldn't that be incredible? That in our lifetime, we got to experience what God could do if people would look to Him, if people would seek Him and listen to Him, and listen if when He does speak to us, if we would just very simply do what He calls us to do, if we would obey Him, if we could say in our lifetime we got to be a part of that. Can you imagine? But the question that we're asking is, if He did do that, what would it look like? Well, today, as Pastor Adam said, we're starting a brand new series of messages. And really, to be honest with you, it is for just that reason. Because we do believe that God is working amongst us. And we, we want to know, God, what is it that you want to do? And we want to make sure that we don't miss whatever it is He wants to do in our lives together. So we're beginning a study on the first few chapters of the book of Acts. And the title of this series is Church Alive. Amen? Before we even start the series, does something in you get excited just to even hear that? I want to be a part of a church that's alive. Amen? I want to be a part of a church that God, we sense that God, it's not me, it's not you. It's not depending on me or you. It's not how good I am, how good you are, how faithful I am, how faithful you are, how much money I have, how much time I have. It's not dependent on me. God wants to do something. It's a church that's alive. And there's a reason that we're studying the book of Acts specifically. As you begin to, to, to read the book of Acts, there's a bigger picture going on. In the Gospels, Matthew, I said, before the book of Acts, we have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We have four Gospels. We have four accounts, four eyewitness testimonies. By the way, there should never be any question about a historical Jesus. We have plenty of testimony, amen? People who were right there with him and they tell the story about his birth and his life and his ministry and his death and his burial and his resurrection. As we start the book of Acts, we actually see the last component of that. We see his, what we call the ascension, when he goes back to heaven. And as we start this book, the book of Acts is really short for the Acts of the Apostles. Someone said it actually should be the Acts of the Spirit. The Acts of God. Amen? The, the Acts of God through the Apostles. It's really shorthand for what those leaders that Jesus called in his family and his other followers, what they did immediately after he left. Listen to what one Bible teacher said. In this relatively short book that covers a span of about three decades, the church expanded from a small group of Jewish believers to thousands of people. We're going to say here in just a moment, maybe as many as a hundred thousand believers all across the Roman world. Amen? Isn't that incredible? In 30 years, to go from zero to a hundred thousand people. Now, why is that important? Well, we're not saying that they were perfect, but God gives us the book of Acts to show us a lot about what His church should look like. Have you ever been frustrated by the church? Have you ever been... Uh, um, hurt? Have you ever been uh, broken? Have you ever 
have you ever been frustrated or, or seen the church not be all that you sensed that God would have it to be? And so we go back to the book of Acts and we say, God, what is it that you want your people to look like and to be about? What does it look like for a church to be a church? What does it look like for a church to be on fire? What does it, what does it look like for a church to be healthy? To be what God intended for us to be. To not get off track. To not do harm, but to do great good. We could say, what does it look for a church to be alive? Amen? As I said, we've only got one shot at this thing called life. And in that life, how many opportunities do we get to be a part of what we would call a movement of God? Probably Probably nobody in this room yet. And we see that the norm for churches is to get away from that. To not experience that. To be confusing. To be frustrating. To get off track. Even, is it possible for something called God's church to be described as dead? Sometimes we can describe a church like that. God forbid that that's ever how this church is described. Amen. God wants his church to be alive. And as we see that story begin to unfold here in Acts chapter 1 in that opening chapter, we see kind of this bridge. Now, the book of Acts was written by the writer of the Gospel of Luke. We could call him Dr. Luke because Colossians 4 verse 14 tells us that Luke was a medical doctor. It's interesting that Jesus chose different kinds of people to give their eyewitness testimony to his life and ministry. And so Luke was led by the Lord to write the Gospel of Luke. Now he's written to write the account of the Acts of the Apostles. Let's start with Acts 1, verses 1 through 3. And apparently he's writing to someone named Theophilus. Some people believe that was an individual. Some people believe that's symbolic. The word literally means a God-lover. So he could be saying here, I'm writing this to you, God lovers. Okay? The first, the first account I composed, God lovers, about all that Jesus began to do and teach. That was his gospel. Until the day when he was taken up to heaven, after he had by the Holy Spirit given orders to the apostles whom he had chosen. To these he also presented himself alive after his suffering, after the cross, by many convincing proofs, there again, the eyewitness, credible testimony, historically we know there was a Jesus Christ. God came as a man and walked on this earth and real people like you and me, reliable witnesses, saw him and give testimony to that. Isn't that encouraging? These are not myths. These are not fables. These are not cartoons. This is history. To these he also presented himself alive after suffering by many convincing proofs appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God. So then, just like we see at the end of the Gospels, we see another account of Jesus' last days, really his last moments with the disciples before he leaves. Look at verses 4 through 8. It says, Gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised, which he said, you have heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized 
with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is it at this time you are restoring the kingdom of Israel to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the epochs which the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you, this is your focus, followers of Christ. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea, the surrounding areas, and Samaria, the surrounding region, and even to the remotest parts of the earth. By the way, friends, don't miss this. This is our thing. Just as real as if Christ was here 40 days after his crucifixion, telling us as his followers, 2,000 years later, this is still our, what Christians call, the Great Commission. Jesus said, I gave my life for every single person who ever lived on this earth. And I purchased your forgiveness. I paid for you to be able to go to heaven and to have a relationship with God on this earth your whole life and to go to heaven forever and ever. I paid that for you. I want everyone to have the opportunity to be able to receive that amazing offer. That has been what God has been about ever since Genesis chapter 3. In Genesis 3, when Adam and Eve, the fall of man, when sin came into this world, God's focus has been, I love you. And I don't want you to be separated from me. And so I'm going to do what, it need, what needs to be done so that you can be reunited with me. And I want every person in this world to hear this amazing message. And then in verses 9 through 11. He leaves. Can you imagine? Can you imagine Christ died on the cross? He was in the grave. They were despondent for three days. He rises from the grave. Now they're overjoyed. He's, he's there with them for 40 days. Can you imagine being with Christ after his death, his burial, being separated from him? And can you imagine seeing him go back up into heaven? No, please, Lord, don't leave us. We can't be trusted with the house. Amen, kids? This is not very smart. We're not ready for this responsibility. Can you imagine how they must have felt? Listen to this. I think we can. As that was happening, in verses 9 through 11, an angel. An angel is just a heavenly messenger. An angel, a messenger from God, gives them God's message. The angel said, go. Get out of here. Don't stand around looking up in the sky. He's coming back one day. But until he does, spread this good news. Go do something. With this amazing message. And that begins the book of Acts. The Acts of the Apostles. It's a book about action, right? That's what brings us to our main focus for today. If you had been there and the angel said, go. Get out of here. Scram. Get lost. Get about your life. If the angel had said that to you, what would you have done after that? Right after that, what would you have done? What would we have done if, if we, if we, if it was this group that he was speaking to? What would we have done as a church? What would most churches and Christians do? Maybe this is a better question. What are we doing right now? Because aren't we still living under that direction? Amen? 
When the angel said, get out of here, what are you looking at? Go. There was a dot, dot, dot after that. And we are still living under that direction. But what does God's word say they did? What would God lead a people who wanted to obey him, who wanted to follow him, who wanted to honor him, who wanted to do his work in this world? What would God lead them to do? And their response really teaches us that a church alive is a praying church. Friends, God's word teaches us that the first thing that a group of people called a church should do is pray. If we're going to be a church that's alive, that's seeing God work in a mighty way, these first disciples teach us the first thing. If you're wondering, I want to follow Christ. I want to know what it means to have a relationship with God. What should I do next? The Bible teaches us the first thing to do is pray. Look at verse 12. It says, Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, where they had been with Jesus, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. A Sabbath day's journey was about a half to three quarters of a mile. When they had entered the city, they went up to the upper room where they were staying. That is Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus and Simon the zealot, and Judas, the son of James. These all with one mind were continually devoting themselves to prayer along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers, with Jesus' brothers. In verse 12, you can almost see them walking back like this. They, they saw Christ leave. An angel tells them, get out of here. And now they're walking back that half mile, that three-quarter mile walk on that Sabbath day's journey that they were taking. And you can almost see some of them probably were speechless, right? Some of us are wired like that. Some of us, when we run into something where we don't know what to do, we just, we just go quiet, right? Some of you are like that. Others of us, I bet you can't guess which one I am. Others of us, we talk it out. Amen? Others of us, we, we got we to gotta process it. We got to figure out what's going on. We got to kind of talk through it together. So I'm sure there were some that were just being very, very introspective. There were some that were very expressive. But then it says they make that journey. They get back to the upper room. It says where they were staying. You get the impression this was a normal spot for them. It must have been a very large room over a very large house. Some have speculated this might be the place where they celebrated the Last Supper with Jesus. And maybe it was the place where He appeared to them in a room after the resurrection. And apparently, when they got back to that room, they knew exactly what to do. The first thing we've got to do is pray. By the way, we know, we know how long they prayed. You know how we know that? Because we're going to find out in Acts chapter 2 that something happens as a result of this prayer. It's called Pentecost. And Pentecost was a celebration that came 50 days after Yom Kippur. 50 days after the Day of Atonement. 50 days after the cross. So if Jesus stayed with them 40 days, about 40 days after that, then how many days were they praying? Very good, math students. 
50 minus 40, they were about 10 days in prayer. Jesus said, it won't be many days. It would have been more than I would have wanted. But about 10 days praying. Maybe that prayer emphasis was because Jesus had told them, stay in Jerusalem, wait for me. Maybe it was because they had spent many, many hours praying together in the upper room. But for whatever reason, the first thing these normal, regular followers of, followers of Christ did was to seek the Lord in prayer. I want you to listen to the priority that God's Word gives to that. Actually, did you know the book of 1 Timothy? In 1 Timothy chapter 3, it kind of tells, Paul tells Timothy, I'm writing to you so that you'll know how you ought to conduct God's work in his family. It's a young pastor, and Paul is trying to teach him, here's how God's family is supposed to work. Look at what he says in 1 Timothy 2 verse 1. First of all then, I urge that entreaties and prayers, petitions, and thanksgivings be made on behalf of all men, for kings and all who are in authority, so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. This is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. As we read those verses, the Bible gives us several things. First of all, the Bible says we are to pray first. I want you to let God engrave it in your mind. The next time you don't know what to do in life, what should you do first? The Bible says the answer, anytime you come to, I'm not sure what to do. The answer is pray first. It says we as a church family, there's a lot of things. Isn't it exciting when Pastor Adam or or Pastor Jeff, when they're sharing at that point in the service, all the different things that God is doing in our church family. Isn't that exciting? It's awesome. And we're going to talk about that's part of God working in a church that's alive. But before we ever get to this stuff, the reason we have a foster response team forming in the first place and actually growing into a ministry is because we started with prayer. Pray first of all, but listen, guys, the Bible says in 1 Timothy 2 that men are to lead the way in our praying. You know, I'm so thankful that we have so many great men in our church family who are growing. But guys, if we're honest, ladies are generally better at this than us. Amen? I mean, just looking at how God wired men and women, the difference in men and women, ladies are more relational tend to be more relational men tend to focus more on rational that doesn't mean ladies are irrational or guys are not relational it just means our leaning our strengths ladies tend to be better at relational kind of things and we do see in verse 14 there are ladies who are here at this prayer gathering but God calls our men guys it's not how I'm wired but yes, it is how I'm wired. Will you receive that? God created you. And even though it doesn't come natural to you, to lead the way in that in a church family, or even let's start here. How about in your family? Amen? It is not as easy for a husband or a dad to say, hey guys, 
Let's get together at 9 o'clock before bed and let's all pray together. That's not as easy for us dads as it is for the moms. But God calls our men to take some leadership in prayer. The Bible tells us to pray for leaders. Specifically, he talks about political leaders. And we don't like to talk about political things. We don't like to think about political things. Oh my goodness, please. I mean, it's giving me heartburn just to even mention that. Amen? But the Bible tells us that we should pray for leaders. We should pray for the leaders of our region. We should pray for the leaders of our state. We should pray for the leaders of our country. But it's not just political leaders. We should pray for our spiritual leaders. I'm so grateful that so many of you pray for our pastors. I'm going to tell you what, when we get in heaven one day, I'm going to tell you what, I really believe that was the secret of this whole thing. Because so many of you are so faithful to pray, and you pray for us specifically as your pastors. Listen, so many Christians are focused on making this a Christian nation. What we should be focused on is making this a nation that's full of Christians. Do you know the difference? It's not a Christian nation. It's a nation that knows the Lord, full of people who know the Lord. That leads us to the last thing he said. He said, pray for the good news to get out to the world. Paul said, here's what a church should do. Let's play dumb. We've been around for about 21 years. I said we should be growing up by now. We should know some things. But let's just play dumb. We don't know what to do, God. We don't know where to start. The Bible says pray first. And guys, guys, would you start praying about leading the way in that? In your homes and in my family, let's pray for leaders. And let's pray for the good news to get out to the world. He says that's God's desire. He desires for all men to be saved. What does that word mean? If you're new to church, it can be confusing to people. It's sort of a religious sounding term. The word just means rescued. We all need a Savior. Amen? We all need to be saved from our sins, rescued from separation from God. And God wants us to be. And He says, pray that the good news will get out to the whole world. So prayer is the first thing God's people, a church, should do. But what about you? What's your gut reaction? In fact, would you ask yourself a couple questions? Write these down. Is prayer my first response when I don't know what to do? Is prayer my first response when I don't know what to do? It's not generally mine. I think I'd probably start with complaining. Amen? <laughs> like, like I'm not happy that I've even got to decide what to do, right? Maybe taking it a step further. Is right now an upper room moment in my life? Do you understand what that means? Is this a strategic moment in my life? Christ is about to do something special. Hey, hang on, come back next week. We're going to see something really amazing happen. We're going to talk about a church that's alive is a powerful church. It's not just a praying, a prayerful church. It is a powerful church. But before that can happen, they needed to go to the upper room. They didn't need to do anything. I preached a message series a few years ago. One, there were two, two messages in the series. One was don't just stand there and do something. That's kind of me and some of you. But here's not me. Don't just do something, stand there. 
Do you hear me? Sometimes it's not just don't just do something. Don't just stand there and do something. Sometimes it is. Some of us need to be motivated to action. But some of us action people need to be motivated to silence. To stillness. To seeking the Lord first. Is this an upper room moment in your life? Has something significant happened in your life? A change in your life? Maybe God's spoken to your heart in some way. Maybe that's why you're here. I know that God is speaking to me. God is calling me. God is doing something in my heart. If that is where you're at, you ought to say, I'm nervous. I'm nervous. Because I will mess it up. I'm sure of that. Amen? I will not do what God wants me to do. I'll miss it. What do I need to do first? I need to pray. Could it be as simple as that? On your commute to Albany? On Monday? God, I don't know what you're doing in my life. But I'm listening. Amen? God, I know you're speaking to me. I don't even know what that means. I don't even know what that looks like. I'm not sure how to approach that. But I'm listening. Is that our gut reaction as a church family? Well, I'm going to tell you it's going to be right now. Because our pastors are sensing this. Yes, we've sought the Lord before. And we do know some things that God wants for us. Our BHAGs that we talk about so often. We didn't just make those things up. Those big goals that God's given us, we didn't just make those up. We didn't have a pastoral retreat and say, you know what? The, this church family needs some direction. Let's come up with some good ideas. Let's have a brainstorming session. You know, like you do at work sometimes. Let's have a brain. We didn't just come up with these things. We prayed about these things. So these things that we are doing, there's nothing wrong with action. We're doing those because we, we've already prayed. And we've already taken some significant steps towards those goals. But i got to be honest with you right now, it's almost like the Lord is saying to us, yes, some of those things are going on, but the very next thing, I can't explain it to you. I'm just, I'm just communicating with you. I believe the Lord is saying to us right now, the very next thing is for us to focus on prayer. And by the way, isn't that one of our goals? God's already called us to move more towards becoming a powerhouse of prayer. I gotta be honest with you, I don't even know what that means. Anybody else? If you've got any ideas about what that means, I'd love to hear them. If, I'm serious, I'm not being smart. If the Spirit of God is showing you some ways that we can grow into what we would later describe or what others might describe, that, that, I would call that a powerhouse of prayer. I would love to hear those ideas. But the Bible teaches the first thing a church should do is pray. But then it teaches that prayer has an immediate impact on that church family. What happened here in the book of Acts? Let's go back and look at verse 14. It said, These all with one mind were continually devoting themselves to prayer along with the women and Mary the mother of Jesus and with his brothers. We see here that this spirit of prayer that God gave, this group of people did some things. Write these down. Prayer makes leaders rise up. In verse 13, we have a list of the first disciples, those first apostles, 12 minus 1 because one went rogue, right? We know about Judas. Not this Judas who's mentioned here, but Judas Iscariot. And in a couple of verses, we're going to see that there were 120 people there. 
And you get the impression that because of this prayer emphasis, that these leaders, these we call them the apostles, these core leaders that Jesus had called, they were the ones leading in that prayer emphasis. Prayer provided an opportunity for those leaders to step up and lead for the Lord. Prayer unifies a church. It says here that they were all with one mind. By the way, do you know this is the first mention of cars in the Bible? The King James Version says they were all in one accord. I just gave you one, dads, right? I just gave you one. I gave you a Bible dad joke, right? The disciples were all in one Honda Accord. It doesn't say Honda, but it says one Accord. But seriously, don't ever minimize in your mind. Listen, friends, I think we experience it so much here at New Hope, we might take it for granted. So I want to identify it. Don't ever minimize the importance of unity in a church. Some of you have been a part of church families before that never got anything done because they were always arguing about everything. Who cares is the answer to a lot of things that a lot of churches worry about. Who cares what color the chairs are? Who cares if we've got one or two or four doors leading off of this room? Who cares? In the, in the scope of eternity. Now listen, anybody that works closely with us will tell you New Hope cares. We often say when we're meeting about details and about specifics, we do the hard work in here so they don't have to. You shouldn't have to worry about how many doors. You can give input if you want to, if it's just really a passion of yours. But you shouldn't really have to worry about that. There should be some people focused on some of those details so we can focus all together on the most important detail. It is so sad. And to be honest with you, a little bit infuriating that God's people around the world so often waste precious time If it is true what we sang just a minute ago, that people need the Lord and that Christ died so that we could be forgiven and have a relationship with Him forever, why are we worrying about the color of the carpets? Or counting pencils? Or did the youth take extra water out of the kitchen? Or whatever. Amen? Who cares? I promise you we will pay attention. I promise you. And anybody that works with me and with us will say, Amen. Amen. We spend a lot of time talking about a lot of stuff. So I promise you, we're not just just not paying attention. But we do want to keep the main things the main thing. You know what? I think a lot of churches really need. Listen to this thought. It's hard to be mad or upset at people that you're praying with. That works for church families. That works for spouses. That works for families, doesn't it? It is very, very difficult. Now let's think about it in a backdoor way. That's why some of us are avoiding praying with people because we're not right with each other. So maybe instead of avoiding the prayer, we should deal with the problem, right? But it is very hard to be upset with someone that you're praying with. Prayer unifies God's people. And friends, listen, Jesus prayed that we would be together. That we would be on the same page. 
John chapter 17, verses 20. I want you to listen to this. This is our Lord right before he goes to the cross. He says, I do not, he's talking to the Father. He says, I do not ask on behalf of these alone, those disciples there, but for those also who will believe in me through their word. Who's that? That's us. He was praying for us. What was he praying? That they may all be one. Isn't that convicting? Jesus wanted us to be together. Even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be in us, united in us, Listen, so that the world may believe that you sent me. Let's think about the negative example. Many people are not going to come to Christ because they see how God's people argue so much. i got enough problems in my life without adding y'all's problems to it. Amen? Jesus wanted us to be united. I think of this, the phrase that I often use is, we want Christ to be beautiful to the world. Not someone that say, I don't want any of that. Jesus prayed for that so that people would come to know him. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 3, listen to this. It says, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Another translation, working hard to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. We ought to be nervous about being divisive. By the way, that's not just in God's family. That's, that's in your family. Brothers and sisters, you should not be pitting your parents against each other. Or you should not be pitting your, your brother against your sister or friends or people at school or people at work. The Bible says we're united. We're peacemakers. We're not troublemakers. Work hard to be united, he says. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Verses 10 through 11. I'm reading these to you so you see how this is so much God's heart. He says, Now I exhort you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be made complete in the same mind and in the same judgment. Listen to this. This is one of those oh snap moments. For I have been informed concerning you, my brethren, by Chloe's people, that there are quarrels among you. Paul said, Busted. Jesus said, y'all are supposed to be united. And he was speaking to this, these um, Corinthians, these cantankerous Corinthians. He was saying to them, y'all aren't united. I've heard from other people that y'all are arguing with each other, and it's wrong. Listen to this one, Philippians 1, verse 27. Only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Wow. So whether I come and see you or remain absent, I will hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit and with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Isn't that what I said? We should be focused on the main thing. The main thing is the whole world needs to know God loves you. You can have a relationship with him if you will accept his amazing offer. That's what ought to be coming out of this place. Amen. If you go to Stewart's and you say, hey, have you ever heard of that New Hope Church? What have you heard about it? God forbid that it ever be anything negative. Amen? Man, I hear they love people. I hear they help people. I hear they love God. I hear, I hear they, they believe that God is at work in this world. Wow. It's not nice that we're unified. It's required. And I believe it's one of the reasons that God's been able to work in our church in a mighty way. And the primary way we're going to get united is through praying together. Listen to the statement. If a family or church family 
is not unified, the first thing that they need to do is to pray together more. Sounds like prayer is important, amen? The last short-term impact of prayer we want to notice is that prayer gives us a stronger commitment to God's work. It says they were continually devoting themselves to some things. What's the difference between a thermostat and a thermometer? A thermostat shows you the temperature. No, that's wrong. A thermometer shows you the temperature. And a thermostat sets the temperature, right? Did you know that prayer does both? Prayer shows us the temperature of our church family. And it also sets the spiritual temperature of our church family. It shows that we are people who seek the Lord. But it also sets that temperature and raises it even higher. Listen to this. God cannot work in a church that does not pray. Now listen to this. God can only work in a church to the extent that they pray. And that brings up something I believe the Lord is speaking to us about a new hope. I said just a minute ago, I believe that when, when eternity comes and we see everything that God was doing, y'all have heard me share before, before we ever came to New York, we had a thousand people committed to pray for us in this church. And many of those people to this day, when I see them across the country, they say, I still pray for your family and your church family. Many of them say weekly and many of them say daily. That is ridiculous. But I, 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 I'm convinced that is probably the reason that God's been able to work. And you know what's happened over the years? Then you stepped up into that, right? So now we appreciate those thousand people, but we're not depending on them because this is our work to do. We've started praying. Listen, this is very important. I believe where we're at right now is about as far as we're going to go with the level of prayer that we have right now. I think it probably started with our partnership with the missionaries in South Asia. But God began to show us this as pastors Thank God for what He's done. Thank God for the prayer, the prayers, the, the, the prayer ministry that's been a part of our church family. But the Lord is saying to us, our level of prayer may have been good so far, but in order for us to go forward, it must be raised. Did you hear that? That challenges me. I can't keep on the track I'm on if I want to see God do more of what He's wanting to do. So that leads us to some questions. How is God calling us to expand our prayer ministry? Again, I don't know the answer. I have some ideas, but I don't know all the answers. So you pray with me about that. And how is God calling you to be a part of that? Certainly we're going towards pretty soon a church-wide night of prayer. Okay, so pretty soon we're going to have just a church-wide night of prayer. We're going to do that. There's a new ministry that we just started called our Pray For Us ministry. There are people who pray during every service they're praying that God helps me share the word and they're praying that God helps you receive it and respond to it maybe you'd be a part of that listen to this and by the way the, the guy if you're interested his email's up on the screen he gave us permission to give that out I mentioned a few weeks ago a prayer budget 
I had never heard of this before, but our missionaries in South Asia, they told us about this. And God's put on our heart as pastors that starting at the beginning of the year, so I want you to be praying about it. I'm giving you a little lead time, right? I'm not dropping you on it today. I'm giving you a little lead time, but in January, we're going to ask you to commit to a prayer budget. We have a financial budget. We talked about that earlier in the service. We need to have a prayer budget. And we need to say, how much can we depend on you for? How much per day can we depend on you for? And you know what we're praying for? A million minutes a year. Wouldn't that be awesome? Wouldn't it be awesome if we knew that a million minutes a year, and by the way, if that sounds kind of aggressive, that's really only about five or ten minutes per person in our church family. So it's not unattainable. We're going to ask you, how many minutes can we count on coming up from New Hope Church to heaven this year? And if you just pray five minutes a day, and we all do that and commit to that together, that'll be a million minutes a year rising up from this group of people. Isn't that incredible? So the early church teaches us when a group of disciples, a church family decides to pray together, they actually make prayer a priority. There are some major short-term impacts, but prayer has a long-term impact as well. Look at verse 15. Verse 15 says, At this time, Peter stood up. While they're praying... Peter stood up in the midst of the brethren, in parentheses, a gathering of about 120 people were there together in the upper room. But Peter stood up. Now we know that, that Christ had called Peter to have a special role in his work. Maybe not to the extent that some churches have emphasized, but still, he did have a leadership role. And this is really when it begins to happen. Listen, friends. After they prayed, Peter stood up. And then in verses 16 through 25, the rest of this chapter, other leaders are established. So listen to this statement. New leaders were raised up in the early church and new direction was set after a focus on prayer. And then we have the rest of the book of Acts. We have the rest of the Acts of the Apostles. We have the rest of the acts of the Spirit through the apostles. All of that happened because of a focus on prayer. It points us to several important considerations. What other major work does God have to reveal to us that we don't even know about? If they had not prayed, it'd be Acts chapter 1 and forget about the rest of the chapters. Isn't that incredible? If they had not prayed, it would have been Acts chapter 1, and that would have been it. But because they prayed, God did all of this stuff, spreading His good news around the world because they prayed. And what about this? What leaders is God wanting to call out? And their call will only come after we pray. Church family, if we were to go back and look at that list of goals, it's kind of aggressive. That's why they're called big, hairy, audacious goals, right? There's no way we can do those things by ourselves. And there's no way those things will be accomplished unless God raises up people. It will not be pastor-driven. Well, our role is to oversee and to equip and to teach and to be a part of that, but our role is not, I cannot do that. 
God is going to have to raise up people. And praise God, we're seeing that happen. But I believe the Lord is saying to us, that next level of leadership is not going to happen until this church has a renewed focus on prayer. What if more prayer is the next step to unlocking all the rest of the chapters that God has for our story? I believe it with all my heart. We're wanting to reach a region. We're wanting to to touch a country. We're wanting to impact the world in some way. After they prayed, all of it opened up. They went from 12 people to 120 people in a relatively small region. By the end of the book of Acts, the gospel had spread all across Asia. It had gone into Europe and was getting ready to come to North America and to the rest of the world one day. And thank the Lord it did. Amen? I want to verbalize something that I believe we all sense, but I want to say it. And it's kind of a creative way of saying it. It's a double negative. New hope is not here for no reason. So take out the double negative. New hope is here for a reason. Amen? It's really a way for us to say we don't believe we're here for a small reason. You know, our pastors were praying right here this week, as we always do. 30 minutes a day to start out every day, Monday through Friday. And as we were praying, I just realized that a few days before that, these little feet from India, we never knew when we built this stage that children from a small village in India were going to be touched by you. And I don't know what they're going to do with their life. But I looked as I was sitting there watching them, just thinking, Lord, what's that little boy going to do? What's that little girl? We, 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 we unlocked something. I'm not saying we're all that, we're, but we're part of, right? Encouraging and breathing life into and, and, and giving resource to and prayer to. We were able to be a part of that. It started with prayer. God has more that He wants to do through this church family. But it will not happen without prayer. If we want to be a church that is alive, we must decide to be a praying church. And it is not sufficient to say we are. Praise God. Anything good that's happened has come because of that kind of an emphasis. But I believe the Lord would say to us, You will not be able to experience the next step unless you first of all focus on prayer. Why don't we do that right now? Would you bow with me for just a minute? Maybe you're part of this church family and you would just join together with me. You're a part of the body of Christ. God's Spirit wants to speak to you through you, maybe to us as a church family. Would you ask the Lord right now, God, I'm a part of this church family. Would you show me how we can grow in prayer? What's the next step for us? Is it 40 days of prayer? Is it another prayer ride like we've done a couple times over the years? Is it a church-wide night of prayer? Is it a prayer budget? 
Maybe a million minutes isn't enough. Maybe it should be two million minutes. Five million minutes. We're going to start with a million. I think that'd be awesome. But is God, would you ask the Lord to speak to you? Would you join in with us as part of the body of Christ? Would you pray for our pastors? God, we help our pastors to continue to seek you, to continue to hear from you, to continue to share your word as they seek to lead us as your servants. Maybe God's speaking to you personally. Maybe you say, Pastor Robbie, I'm not near part of this bigger work. I, I'm just checking you guys out. I've just come for a few weeks. Or maybe this is the first time I've ever been here. But maybe God would just say to you, prayer. Just that thought. How much is prayer a part of your life right now? Maybe, maybe the word's priority. Maybe prayer is a part of your life but it's not really a priority for your life. And God's speaking to you about taking that step. Friends, listen to me carefully. Maybe some of us right now need to, need to pray the most important prayer you could ever pray. Many people in this room have come to a place in their life of realizing, I need God to be my Savior. And they verbalize that to Him in a prayer. We often call the sinner's prayer. Would you do that right now? Do you believe that God is calling you into a relationship with Him? You may not even know all that that means. But you know He's speaking to you. He's telling you, I love you. I have a purpose for you. Will you trust me? Will you accept my offer? Would you say yes, Lord? I ask you right now. I pray right now. I ask you to come into my life to forgive me of my sins and to be my Lord and Savior. Thank you, God, for saving me. I know it sounds so simple, but wouldn't, it, wouldn't a loving Father make it simple for us? He doesn't want it to be hard. He wants us to be reunited with Him. So thank you, Lord. Thank you for doing the work that we couldn't do. Thank you, Jesus, for dying for my sins. And for rising from the grave, I have hope for my life that I will live forever because I put my trust in you. Thank you for all who've made that decision. Lord, help us to grow into a powerhouse of prayer. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.